Hey, bowlers, bowling this month is back. Bowling this month is bowling's trusted technical resource that's relied upon by thousands of serious bowlers, pro shop operators, and professional coaches. From independent ball reviews to great instructional articles on all facets of our sport, you'll find it all at bowlingthismonth.com. For less than the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can have online access to Bowling This Month's premium technical bowling content that will help you improve your game. Bowling This Month is so confident you'll be satisfied, they're offering a 14-day money-back guarantee to all subscribers. Check out BowlingThisMonth.com and sign up today. Now is the time to reinforce your bowling arsenal, and BowlerX.com is the online leader in price, service, and selection. With free insured shipping on every item we carry, including a complete line of pro shop supplies, as well as balls, bags, shoes, accessories, and more. Also check out the large selection of closeout and discontinued items at a fraction of their original cost. BowlerX.com, your online bowling superstore and proud sponsor of Above180.com. You can hear Above 180 on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and beyond, on demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. BowlerX.com, your online bowling equipment superstore, presents the Above180.com podcast. Tim Berg is ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, here's your host, Tim Berg. Joining me today on the Above180.com podcast is Marshall Holman. Marshall is a 22-time PBA Tour Titleist. He also joined PBA Extra Frame this past World Series of Bowling, so we're going to get his thoughts on that. He was the 1987 PBA Player of the Year, and as we all know, did color commentary on the PBA telecast for ESPN, ESPN2, and CBS. What I thought we'd do kind of to wrap up 2014 is sit down and chat with Marshall. So this is going to be a two-part interview, possibly three, but we're going to at least do two parts with Marshall. We're going to begin this episode talking about the PBA Tour, Tour versus now versus back in the day when Marshall was bowling. And then on the second show, I want to get into more of uh, the, uh, the concerns that bowlers, when I'm out there talking to bowlers, what they voice to me and ask him his thoughts on some of those and hopefully come up with a solution, hopefully, for the USBC and, frankly, for even the PBA. So with all that said, Marshall, it's great to have you in studio and have you join me today on the Above180.com podcast. It's my pleasure, Tim. Well, Marshall, we're going to do what I thought we'd do for the month of December on the podcast. Kind of a good way to wrap the year is we're going to do kind of a, a two or three part interview series with you. Kind of start with the tour when you were back on it to today's game and some of the concerns that a lot of bowlers that people email me and that bowlers have these days. So let's begin back with your life on the tour Um what was it like for you guys? I mean, you guys were back when it was bowling. You know, you guys were going city to city. It was almost like the traveling road band, so to speak. What was that like for, for you as a player? Well, when I first started out when I was 19, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, young kid from, from Medford, Oregon, out on the road, you know, going from going from city to city. And it was a, it was a lot of fun. And we made made a lot of good friends. It was uh, was exciting. Uh, I think in the, I think my fourth or fifth tournament I made, I made the top five. And uh, did not bowl well. It was in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, I remember striking out in the tenth frame for 149 in my first televised appearance, and uh, feeling quite embarrassed, but uh, 
also feeling good about the fact that I that I made it that far. So it was, it was it was a great it was a great way to give myself a little bit of uh, of momentum. Made another show a couple of weeks later, and then uh, just when I thought I had figured the tour out, I I went I think six or seven weeks in a row without making a check, and and then I had to sort of decide whether you know do I really want to do this? Is this something I can I can do? And uh, and uh, Fortunately, I decided to give it a shot, and uh, 1975 turned out to be, you know, a breakthrough year. Won, won a couple of tournaments, and uh, it was a lot of fun. So back then, who was your biggest tour rival? Oh, I would say, you know, but you know, I was fortunate enough to be in what a lot of people uh, like to call in the 70s and 80s the uh, the big three, and I was always, I was always the third wheel in that big three, but and I was fine with that. It was, you know, Earl Anthony and Mark Roth. They were. They were sort of bouncing back and forth as the top player of, of that day. For me to be just in the in the conversation, it was great. Uh, on any given um, Saturday, you would you would probably see either Mark or Earl or myself or all three of us. And would you say that what is probably one of the biggest misconceptions people have? Because a lot of times we'll hear people say we love the you know they wish we could go back to the old tour which was like what you're saying where you guys would be gone and you'd go from city to city. But what was probably one of the biggest misconceptions of, of bowling back in the day? I'm not really sure. I, you know, I, I, think, um, I, think people, I think people probably got the idea because, because Mark Roth and I bowled, bowled doubles together that we were very, very close friends. And Mark is a good friend of mine, but, but we, were never, we, we never really bowled that much at the same time. You know, back, back in the day, uh, they, had, they had split squads. So there was a group of us that bowled. In the morning, on a on a on the first day of qualifying, and then a group that came in in the afternoon, and then we would we would bowl again that 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 evening, and the next day would switch. The guys that bowl in the morning would bowl would bowl in the afternoon, and Mark was always on the opposite squad. So, while Mark and I were were good friends, we weren't we didn't pal around a lot together. And I think a lot of people figure we probably did. Uh, you know, Mark and I do we do stay stay in touch. He's uh, he's had some health issues over the last number of years, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Mark. He'll be going back to to Indianapolis uh, in mid February for the televised finals of the uh, of the Roth Holman doubles, which um, I appreciate the PBA putting putting our names on that. We were we were kind of the first first dominant team in the, in doubles, and so uh, it's going to be it'll be great to see Mark. And uh, you know, we talk from time to time. Uh, you know, one of one of the things I loved about about bowling back in back in the day was, especially in the summertime, after a tournament was over, regardless of who won the tournament, there was always a party. Uh, it's become it's become a, a, maybe a little less little less uh, friendly than it was. Uh, you know, back in the day, um, I don't think people the, the bowlers don't have don't have time for that or or, or whatever. But uh, it was uh, it was it was great. It was a lot of fun. So, Marshall, you talk about things being a fraternity back then. What do you attribute that to? I mean, it seemed like when you guys were out on the tour together, the fraternity was you were traveling together, you were seeing each other every week, where nowadays it's like you bowl the World Series, and then you might go a couple months without seeing someone again. And then how much do you think it has to do with even the fact that a lot of these guys are with their separate companies, and they don't want to be seen as palling around with someone who's not throwing their particular type of bowling ball or equipment? Yeah, I think I think it was more of a fraternity because because we did travel from week to week and and there was a, a large contingent of, uh, of players that had motorhomes and uh, and for pe- people like myself who, who I never did have a motorhome but I used to I used to power around and hang out with with the guys that did and and uh, and, in, and you're right I mean once you know on the lanes uh, I was I was never I was never one to to, uh, 
to back off or to to give somebody a, an opportunity to beat me when I had a chance to to get them. But but um, you know I I was probably as as uh, misrepresented as far as what kind of a person I was back in the day. A lot of it my own doing because of my my intensity. But um, I got along pretty much with everybody out there. Uh, but you know like you said during the during the competition. You know, I didn't. I didn't really care if I beat him by 150 pins. I just wanted to win by at least one. Well, and and you bring up a great point there about your intensity, and people would see that on Saturdays. And going back in my research and doing some of the uh, some research for the interview, there's some clips on YouTube going back to the day, but not a lot. Could you imagine nowadays if social media and Facebook <laughs> would be around and how how you got you know you, there'd be uh, just talk about that and just how different it is nowadays with with all the uh, the media. Out there. Well, I'm I'm not sure if that would have made me back off more or even go more over the top uh you know it would have it would have been a lot of fun there would have been certainly there was a lot of buzz you know back back when i when i was on tour in the especially in the in the 70s and the 80s um you know social media is just uh it's just part of our part of our landscape now it's uh it's 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 involved in uh you know i i i use it in in my, in my business and uh and uh, I I keep track of friends, you know, on Facebook, and uh, so you know it's a it's a very important part of of today's today's world. And and it would have been I think it would have been a lot of fun back then. But uh, you know back back in the seventies, they didn't the, the internet. I don't believe Al Gore had had invented it yet, had he? <laughs> yeah, I think you're right there. I mean, it's funny going back and watching. There's some, like you said, there's some YouTube clips, but that's about it. And Marshall, I need you to hold that thought for one second. Coming up on the other side, we're going to continue this conversation. But first, let's check in with the owner of Bowling This Month, Bill Semsrat. Hi, Tim. This is Bill Semsrat from BowlingThisMonth.com. I'd like to quickly highlight three things this week that I think your listeners might really enjoy. First up, we've got Susie Minchie with a new article discussing the various elements of an effective grip and why a good fit is the most important component to your potential success as a bowler. And next up, we've got something a little bit different for us. We've got an interview from BTM contributor Rob Motner, who recently sat down with PBA Hall of Famer Marshall Holman to discuss a wide range of interesting topics, from Marshall's successful career as a bowler, to his views on the modern game, to his opinions on what it takes to be a success today at the elite level. It's really an insightful look into the mind of one of the best bowlers to ever play the game. And then finally, I'd like to quickly mention our bowling ball reviews. BTM tests and writes independent, unbiased reviews of almost all the new bowling balls on the market today, and we currently have over 300 reviews available on our website. If you're in the market for some new equipment and you want to get more familiar with what's out there, head on over to our website and see what we have to offer. For all this and more, please check out BowlingThisMonth.com. Back to you, Tim. Action Bowling. John Mark Manzione just came out with a great book on action bowling that chronicled the life of Ernie Schlegel and some of the things he did back in, in New York growing up. Talk about action bowling, though, on the West Coast, because we always hear New York and Jersey and Philly, et cetera. And Talk about action bowling, though, on the West Coast. There there wasn't a lot of it, at least not not that I was familiar with. You know, I, I grew up bowling in leagues in, in, in Medford, Oregon, and, and I would bowl, you know, on – on Friday nights or Saturdays against the you know some of the better bowlers, but we would, we would bowl for twenty five cents, you know for if you if you bowled a clean game you got twenty five cents if you if you bowled a two hundred game you got twenty five cents and if you and if you had the high game you got twenty five cents so if you got you know fifteen or twenty guys and you know you could you could make some pocket change and um, but as far as the action bowling where you know in, in in I think the biggest big spots for action you know New York New Jersey Dallas was a was a was a hotbed for action bowling. 
I never, I never really got involved in it. And when I was, when I went on tour, um, the pros, uh, some of the pros would occasionally, you know, do some action bullying against, you know, against the, you know, the the local hotshots. And uh, it was just never, never anything that 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 I felt comfortable doing. I didn't grow up doing it, so you know, I I I liked having the the entry fee and the opportunity to go out and win a tournament. And if I didn't win a tournament, you know, I could still cash high up and and you know and and make a good check for the week. In action, you, you know, if you finish second, you've also finished last. So it was not, never anything that I was that I ever got involved in. I really, I didn't want to put my reputation up against against someone who who had local prominence when I had when I had the you know a national name, and I felt like I had more to lose than to win. I remember hearing a story of in the during the tour life of uh, Nelson Burton Jr. Actually, drive, when he was driving from city to city, he would stop in at these local at these local centers along the way, and he would bowl at you know pot games against the, the, some of the guys. And it actually ended up you know it paid for part of his trip on on the way over. So, do you recall or do you have any good good memories of folks telling you maybe if it wasn't yourself, maybe you're you're riding with someone where you're going from from a city to a city and, and say oh let's pull into this bowl here and you know maybe just grab a drink and a sandwich and lo and behold some some people want to bowl with you guys. Not really. the the the, the best action um, story that, that I was ever told, and it happened it happened I think back in the '60s or very very early '70s prior to me coming out on tour. Uh, there was a I think it was happening it happened in New York, and there was a bowler that that had multiple multiple sponsors, and so if if he won, he would have to he'd have to he couldn't win because he'd have to pay off two hundred or three hundred percent. So um, the only thing that he could think of to do was to he faked a heart attack and and they took him away on a on a on a stretcher. That's how that's how he got that's how he got out of got out of this predicament of having multiple sponsors. And that, right when you heard that story, you said this isn't for me. No. <laughs> um, you talk about sponsors. Um, I know that that was very common back in the day to have a sponsor. And obviously, is that something? Did did you work through high school to get your money, or did your family say, okay, we're going to set aside about this amount of money? And when you know, I remember Wayne Webb telling a similar story of, of his dad saying, "Here's here's your money. When it's done, you got to go find a real job." Um, how did that work for you when you were starting out on the tour? Well, as a 19 year old kid in Medford, I I was approached by a local businessman who who asked me. He was a, he was a bowling bowling enthusiast. He asked me if I wanted to try the tour. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I I said I said, well, yeah, that sounds like fun. I'll give it a I'll give it a chance. I really thought that it would be something that I would try for you know, three months, six months, maybe a year at the most, then I'd come back home, go to school and, and, uh, and get a real job like everybody else. As I said earlier, I had, I had some good early success, gave me some, uh, some confidence. Um, unfortunately, the, uh, the gentleman who was sponsoring me, uh, I found out in um, Edison, New Jersey, which is about as far away from Medford as you can get, I found out that uh, a couple of my checks didn't clear properly. So he wasn't he wasn't as reputable a person as as I at first thought. So then I I went out on my own at that time, and uh, that's when I had that streak of six or seven tournaments in a row where I didn't make any money at all. So I came back home, and um, uh, a friend of mine from Seattle had a had a friend also a bowling enthusiast who who wanted to take a shot and sponsor me, and he he it wasn't a good deal uh, for me. He but it was the best deal on the table. It was. He gave me he gave me an eight week window, and after eight weeks we would 
you know, see how things went. Well, in 1975, in those first eight weeks, I made the top 24 five times, cast the other three tournaments, and uh, Jim Roberts, who, uh, who I don't talk to a lot nowadays, but I still consider him a very good friend, and we had a lot of good times together. He sponsored me from 1975 till about 1979 when his, his, you know, his percentage kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller every year, and I, really, I didn't really need him that much uh, going into 77, 78, but uh, good man. We had a great, great relationship. Uh, he, he was with me in 1976 when I, when I won the Tournament of Champions as a 21-year-old, and uh, we, we, had a, we had a very, very good sponsor uh, bowler relationship. It was, uh, it was, it was great. And I, I never could have done it on my own. My parents certainly couldn't have afforded to, you know, to, to, um, to sponsor me. You know, we, we were a middle-class family, and uh, you know, it was I believe when I first went on the road, it was $350 a week. Well, in 1974, $350 a week. You know that's fourteen hundred dollars a month. That's that's a lot of money to you know to to you know to come up with if uh, you know if you're not you know pretty well healed. It seems like that sponsor sponsoring of bowlers has kind of gone by the wayside. At least from from the people that I talk to, do you think that's just a cultural thing, or do you think or a generational thing? Where back in in the seventies, you were probably very grateful that someone thought, like you said, wow, this guy thinks he believes in me and he believes in my game and wants to sponsor me. Where nowadays. It's like if I can't do it, you know, this is just my thought, obviously. If I can't do it and I can't make the money on my own, I'm, I'm not going to even try it. So do you think there's some people – there's just a cultural-slash-generational difference or gap in that, or are people uh, still doing that? There could be. I think I think there are probably still guys out there who, who have people that sponsor them. And uh, But, um, you know, I would never – I would never have, have ever ventured going out on tour without having someone else's money helping me. I just – I wasn't going to do it because I – didn't have that. I didn't have that kind of self belief um, that maybe some of the younger players have now. And uh, you know, there, there's um, there's a lot of good amateur uh, bowling out there that, that gives these these young people, you know, um, a sense of uh, of yes, I can. So maybe maybe that's maybe that's the difference. But it was very important to me to have, you know, to be able to bowl, not worry about where the money was coming from, and uh, and just do the best I could. Well, you bring up the money, and that's a key point because uh, I talked to Brian Smith last year, and Brian, as we know, you know, is part-time bowler on tour, goes down and bowls the World Series in Vegas, bowls on the, you know, on the the PBA League Series and such. But he also has a very successful business as a proprietor with his family up in Roseburg, and he said, you know, now that bowling is not a business for him, a lifestyle, a that you know, where he needs that check to survive, he can take it in a whole new light, and it takes a lot of pressure off the guys. Back when you were bowling, it was kind of you know the same you know like you said fourteen that's a lot of money. So to have to know that you have someone who is helping you in case you get through some of the lean weeks, that probably had to be a little bit also of a a relief to know that your next paycheck necessarily didn't you know wasn't gonna you know you're not gonna be sleeping in your car if you didn't cash in an event. Yeah, it was it was it was very very nice very very soothing to know that um, that the, the finances were there for you to for you to to, to make it through. All the tournaments that you were scheduled to bowl in, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it was a very very important for me. Final question for this uh, this episode, and like I said, we're going to do a couple different series. Uh, going to focus next week. I want to talk more about uh, some of issues with today's bowling, some of the concerns that we have, and get some of your perspective on that, Marshall. But I have a question from our Facebook followers. It's taking your bowling game to that next level. Is our Facebook uh, like us? 
and you can find out information there. But Jared Lawson asked you, Marshall, when I posted the question, what, what should we ask uh, the great one, Marshall Holman? He said, Marshall's commentary on Extra Frame was fantastic. His question would be his thoughts on the PBA prize fund and the current state of the PBA game and the pro game right now. Well, it's certainly not what we'd like it to be. Um, it's, um, you know, I think with the advent of uh, of cable television and satellite television there are just so many there's so many different outlets that you can that you can go to you know back the back in in the 70s when I started bowling for a living was it was ABC NBC and CBS and um, and everyone got good ratings and everyone got got uh, rights money you know ABC paid us paid us pretty good money f- uh, for the, for the right to broadcast now now the PBA um, and and most most sports that aren't like Football, basketball, baseball—you know the, the the real high-profile sports—they do what's called a time buy. So the, they have to actually pay to to buy the time, and then and then that particular sport sells that time to try and you know break even or, or make money. So uh, it's um, it's a it's a whole it's it's a whole different thing right now. I I would I would love to see I would love to see it get back to get back to to where it was you know back in the day. But they're just there's so many different choices. The, the the ratings are are much much lower, and um, and the people in television are a little a little leery to uh, to be spending money on on uh, you know on bowling right now. It's uh, it's unfortunate. How do you think you would do with the way the format of the PBA is is currently set up, where you bowl in Vegas, the World Series, and you bowl kind of, and then there's a summer swing. There's kind of stuff all spread out. How do you, how do you think that would fit your game? Or would have fit your game back in the well, day? I don't I don't I wouldn't have liked it, but. If that's what it was, I wouldn't. Have, I, I wouldn't have known any better. So that's you know, they're they're bowling on what on what on what's available. So you just you, know, you really metaphorically the guns to your to your head right from the get go. I mean, there's there's no there's no time to have a to have a slow start. Um, it's a tough format. There there are less games, uh, which gives you less time to really get yourself yourself into into a higher position. Um, I know when you know. Back when I was when doing well on tour, on if you made it to if I felt like if I made it to Friday, if I made match play and made it to Friday on Friday, I knew I could climb up the ladder and I could get in, I could get myself at the top five or close to it. Um, into in today's bowling, you don't have that luxury of having that having those extra games. So they really they really have to get it going very very quickly. But you know that's 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 what's out there for them to bowl on and um, and. Uh, if, if it had been me and, and I was and I was in that situation, I I would like to think that I was still still would have done well. But I'm glad I didn't have to bowl with uh, with the format of today. Well, great stuff, Marshall. We're gonna uh, wrap it up right there. We're gonna come back. We're gonna next week. What what I want to talk about is next week. We're gonna talk about some of the issues going on with USBC. Some of some of your thoughts on that as someone who's been involved in you know bowling f- for um, for many years and still keeps up to date on things. So we're going to wrap it right there. Again, Tim Berg, the Above180.com podcast. We'll be back next week with more from Marshall Holman.